millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there, and welcome to this episode of Explaining History. Um, you can find us at www.explaininghistory.com. And today we're going to talk about the power struggle between Stalin and Trotsky. Um, there's an ebook at explaininghistory.com on this particular subject called Stalin, the Gulags and the Five-Year Plans. Now you might well find in an exam paper um, a question coming up specifically on how it is Stalin managed to uh, outmaneuver Trotsky in the power struggle that follows Lenin's death. Now it's a complicated process and it's uh, dragged out over many years um, and so it needs to be broken down into stages. So stage one, we're going to look at um, Stalin between 1917 and 1921. So unlike Lenin and Trotsky, um, Stalin's in Russia when the February Revolution happens and when the provisional government, uh, under pressure from the Petrograd Soviet, free all of Russia's dissidents and allow the rest to return, Stalin leaves exile in Siberia along with Lev Kamenev and returns to Petrograd. And it's there that Stalin takes charge of Pravda, the uh, Bolshevik newspaper, uh, and quickly decides that a second revolution is unlikely to happen uh, and throws his um, backing behind the provisional government. When Lenin returns in April uh, 1917, he's furious at Stalin. Stalin hasn't cleared this with him, and uh, Lenin says that under no circumstances should we back the provisional government, we should actively work to undermine it. And uh, Stalin says this is, this is impossible, there won't be a second revolution, and that from his reading of uh, Marx's theory, the conditions aren't right and probably won't ever be. To which um, Lenin gives Stalin an ultimatum, uh, essentially saying, back me or sack me, and Stalin uh, knuckles under and follows the Leninist party line. Um, Stalin uh, is acutely aware of how important uh, Lenin is and how unchallengeable within the party he is, and therefore realises he won't win any battle of wills with Lenin. Stalin is at this point a very junior, very minor, very marginal figure within the Bolshevik party. And it's only during the Russian Civil War that this changes at all. He has various roles during the Russian Civil War, such as the Commissar for Nationalities, and he bloodily puts down an uprising in Georgia. Um, he first comes to truly loathe uh, Leon Trotsky when the two of them are seconded 
to uh, deal with the problem of Poland. In 1920, Ukraine declares itself a breakaway republic and the Poles decide that Ukraine is ripe to be annexed by them. Poland had traditionally extended deep into Ukraine and the Poles believed, as a, and the Poles which had, who had been made independent themselves through the Treaty of Versailles, um, believed that really they had a right to a large amount of Ukrainian territory. The Red Army, during the Russian Civil War, um, counterattacks and chases the Poles out of Ukraine and back into Poland. The two Red Army generals, Budeni and Tukhachevsky, um, who uh, lead the march on Warsaw, are accompanied by Stalin and Trotsky as the two political commissars who are directing the military forces uh, to the wishes of Lenin. And therefore, when the Red Army is basically destroyed uh, by the Poles at the gates of Warsaw, in one of the, the greatest military turnarounds in history, uh, both men blame one another. It's not hard to see the reasons why Stalin would have hated Trotsky. If we um, ignore even for a moment the uh, lingering anti-Semitism that um, the, this kind of tough working class Georgian uh, would have had towards Trotsky, there were actually plenty of things to legitimately dislike Trotsky for. Trotsky was a great orator, um, but on the flip side, he was an enormous egotist, um, frequently rude, dismissive and insulting uh, in articles he wrote in Pravda about other party members, um, dismissing their intellectual capabilities. Um, he didn't do himself any favours by having something of a roving eye for other party members' wives. He viewed his contribution to the revolution as being more important than anybody else's. And after his years as Commissar for Military Affairs, had really got a taste for uniforms. But it was on matters of ideology, really, that Trotsky faced the most opposition. The Soviet Union uh, faced a particularly serious problem in 1919. The Bolsheviks had always believed that it would be impossible to industrialise and, and socially revolutionise all of Russia alone. Russia was a vast peasant country and it would have been beyond the abilities of any one party to do it all themselves. And so the Bolsheviks were hoping that the revolution would spread, particularly westwards, to industrialise Germany. Karl Marx had predicted that it would be Germany that would fall to revolution first. Russia was a complete aberration in terms of Marxist thinking. It was the country in which the revolution was really not supposed to happen. In 1918 and in 1919, the chances of a uh, communist revolution in Germany are reasonably good. However, the revolution doesn't happen um, when it uh, breaks out, it's put down by the Freikorps in Germany, the violent right-wing demobilised soldiers, on behalf of the new Weimar government. And once that happens, it means revolution isn't going to spread 
westwards. It's not going to spread to Germany or to France or to any other Western country. And this prevents, presents a huge problem for the Bolsheviks. Trotsky's idea was that, irrespective of this, Russia should continue to try to spread revolution as much as possible and wherever possible. He believed in an idea of what he called permanent revolution. And this might partly be because what Trotsky was at heart was a revolutionary. He was less interested in the trappings of power and more interested in consistent and continual revolution. But there was a growing body of opinion in the party, vo vocally voiced by Stalin, that this was folly. The communist revolution would now be trapped within Russia, and instead of looking to expand and expand and expand and advance the revolution across the globe, the revolution now within Russia must be defended against the enemies of revolution, particularly the Western powers, Britain, America, France and their ally in the East, Japan, who had invaded Russia during the Russian Civil War. Instead of ambitiously looking to project power, now the Russian Revolution was a thing under siege from a hostile world. There would be, obviously, uh, after the Russian Civil War, an awful lot of evidence to support this point. The Allies had intervened in Russia, they had tried to overthrow the Bolsheviks, um, with very, very limited, uh, if any, success at all. Uh, but that was by the by, really. Stalin was given an ideal um, job in 1921 as General Secretary of the party. Following the attempt on Lenin's life uh, by Fania Kaplan in 1918, where Lenin was shot three times, his health continued to decline from 1918 to 1924, and as he became progressively more and more ill and more and more incapacitated, he needed a reliable pair of hands to do much of the party donkey work for him, as he saw it. And this would have been a role totally um, unappealing to Trotsky, and yet Stalin saw an opportunity in it because General Secretary of the party allowed Stalin the power of appointment. Contemporary accounts have Stalin in his office, uh, a pipe in one hand and a sheaf of papers in the other, with thousands and thousands of names on, simply saying yes, no, yes, no, having people expelled from the party, expelled from top party jobs all across Russia, and loyalists put into party jobs. And these would very often be people that Stalin had never even met, but the moment that Stalin had you appointed to a, a, a good party job in regional Russia, it meant you had access to probably somewhere nice to live, sufficient food for you and your family, clothing, warmth and prestige in very, very desperate times. And if that didn't guarantee your loyalty, probably not very much else would. So in a short space of time, Stalin built himself a power base amongst the party across the entire country of tens of thousands, perhaps even gradually hundreds of thousands of supporters. And Trotsky didn't have the ability to do anything like that. Trotsky thought that his own um, flamboyance, his own um, oratory brilliance, his own writing and ideas would be the thing that would do it for him, and it just doesn't. So on the surface of things, um, Trotsky appears 
in the run-up to Lenin's death to be the main contender to be his heir. However, underneath, there are fundamental problems with this. And Trotsky isn't half as popular or half as strategic as Stalin. And one of the things that Stalin represents to rank-and-file party members is the sense of being one of their own. Trotsky, not only being Jewish, is also um, a highly articulate, real member of the bourgeoisie. Stalin is as working class as you get. A real salt of the earth, blue collar, in the eyes of party members, good guy, who represents many of the, the, the new working class ethoses of the revolution. Now, the penny drops uh, for Lenin about the issue of Stalin far too late. Lenin begins to see the monster that he started to create in Stalin, and he realises this as he becomes uh, more, more and more incapacitated. And Stalin begins to keep Lenin as a, a virtual prisoner in his own home. Stalin manoeuvres so that he has virtually uh, sole access to Lenin and uses his secretaries uh, to spy on Lenin and Nadezhda Krupskaya. Stalin finds out who's visited Lenin, who's written to him and who's corresponded with him and he uses this access to Lenin in order to dominate the, the Politburo which is a five-man group now responsible, now down to four men, uh, now responsible for really deciding policy in Russia. Those four men are Stalin, Trotsky, Zinoviev and Kamenev. And the problem with this group is that it doesn't appear to be particularly effective in deciding anything at all. For example, the vexed question of the new economic policy Nobody knows quite what Lenin had intended because after having several strokes, Lenin is unable to speak. And also, no one can ascertain from Lenin how long the NEP was meant to continue for and what, if anything, was meant to replace it. Now, in the next podcast, we are going to look at the manoeuvrings that Stalin does on the Politburo in order to eventually isolate Trotsky but for now, um, we're going to leave with um, the funeral of Lenin, which Trotsky, for some reason, fails to attend. The official version that Trotsky gave in his memoirs is that Stalin gave him the wrong date. However, it doesn't take a genius to uh, surmise there might be a problem with this when you see images of Lenin's state funeral and tens of thousands of ordinary Russians queuing up to pay their respects. If they knew, why didn't Trotsky? This might be one of these historical questions to which we may never have an answer, but my conjecture is that Trotsky knew full well when Lenin's funeral was, and by not attending, it was perhaps a conscious act of self-sabotage. Ultimately, I think there's a sufficient amount of evidence to suggest that Trotsky perhaps never really wanted to lead Russia, and as I mentioned earlier, was comfortable with the life of permanent revolutionary, even if there wasn't going to be permanent revolution. Now, as I said, next time we're going to look at the Politburo itself and the manoeuvrings that Stalin has to finally exile Trotsky from the country by 1929. 
But if you're anxious to know more, you can visit us at www.explaininghistory.com and sign up to our newsletter, or you can look on uh, my Soviet blog, www.weneedtotalkaboutlenin.wordpress.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.